Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our first passage for this morning comes from John chapter 10, verse 11 through 18. Listen for what God is saying to you. I'm the good shepherd. The God shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the, when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have, the, I have other sheep that don't belong to the sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. No one takes it from me, but, but I give it because I want to. I have the right to give it up, and I have the right to take it up again. I receive the commandments from my Father. Our second passage comes from Hebrew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So then let's also run the race that is led in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witness surrendering us. Let's throw off any extra baggage that get rid of the sins that trips us down, that trips us up, and fix our eyes on the Jesus. Faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was led in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. May God a blessing to the understanding and living out of his scripture. morning again. Let's join in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive what God has to say to us this morning. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and to worship you and to encounter you in familiar and surprising ways. We ask that your spirit would be present in our hearts and our minds, helping us to receive what it is that you have to say, to wrestle with it, to be encouraged by it, to struggle with it, and to be reminded that you are still moving in our lives. Speak through me in spite of me that your work might be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have um, been the member of the same gym for almost 10 years now. And almost every time I go, I use a, they're one of their combination locks. And so I pick it up you know, after they scan my card. And there's something kind of strange about these locks where um, it's just a regular combination lock. You do the like three, um, you know, one way, and then the next way, and then the next way for the, for the numbers. But um, it doesn't just fall open when you get to that third number. You have to sort of like turn it in the opposite direction that you initially were turning and, and then kind of pull it open. And it's like all of the locks at this gym are like this. So it's just kind of a quirk that I've kind of gotten used to. Um, and one day I was in the locker room and I heard someone sort of making sounds that sounded really frustrated. So I went over and looked over and... Um, and I saw her kind of fussing with this lock, and I was like, 
oh, do you need some help? And she said, yeah, I think it's broken. So I, I did it, and I opened it. Um, and, and then she kind of was surprised, and then she got sort of angry at me and, like, pulled it out of my hand. And I was like, okay. And then I realized, like, oh, it's because of that little trick. Like, you have to sort of pull it back the opposite way. And I had gotten so used to it that I almost didn't, wasn't even, like, aware that I did it, right? Um, and it had just become this sort of kinetic knowledge in, in my um, uh, kind of way of being. Well, this kind of not this sort of knowledge, this sort of embedded, almost subconscious, but sort of deeply intimate knowledge about how something works, the contours of its functionality or the quirks of its personality, it's this kind of knowledge that Jesus means when he says, I know my own and my own know me. Jesus has been talking about the, the way that the kind of spiritual leadership and shepherding he gives is deeply invested. He says he's not like a thief. Um, as he says earlier um, in the passage that uh, before we read the passage before the passage we read, um, a thief who tries to hijack authority, a thief who doesn't care about the community, a thief who just wants to exploit the community for its own gain, and he's not like a hired hand who's just here for a paycheck and isn't about to stick around when things get tough or scary. No, Jesus says, I am here for you. I'm here for all of you, and I know all of you, every quirk and contour of your mind and your body. I know how when you eat burritos, your stomach gets funny, but not when you eat burrito bowls. And I know how your body tenses up when you enter certain rooms or how you only feel at home when, when we clap on the two and four. And I know you, and I love you, and I'm here for all of you. This is Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just know us and love us. Jesus also protects us and keeps us. Again, earlier in the passage, he describes himself as a gate. That means you don't come in but through Jesus. And that means Jesus protects the space for you. He reinforces the boundaries. He reinforces the commitments and the norms of the community. That the way we live and be together is shaped by a particular demand of love born from a particular deposit of love. Jesus isn't just a caregiver, he's also a gatekeeper. And I know that there are some types of folks who might feel some sort of way about that language, but what, God, what John is trying to say is that there are terms to being part of a community. You don't get into the community without receiving a particular kind of restoration and healing that Jesus offers, and you don't get into the community without the particular kind of protection that he provides, but you also don't get into the community without abiding by the bounds of what that community demands to a people and a place of healing, restoration, and protection to be that kind of people. And those bounds are defined by the commitments we make in baptism. When we make that commitment, we know that others have also made that commitment to us. We, it's a promised space, and it's a demanding space. In this community, it isn't, it isn't just a country club. It's not just for those who can afford a membership or those who are just privileged enough to have the connections to get in. It's more of a kind of rolling application sort of place, a place where you can get service, whether you're wearing sh shirts or shoes or not. Um, but it does demand something of you. And one of those demands is that we don't also keep that knowledge to ourselves. This past week, I was having a conversation with a friend and she was sharing with me how much she appreciated my Facebook posts. And she said, they inject so much goodness into the world, is what she said. And I, I never quite know how to respond to like positive, sort of flattering remarks about myself. So I said something like, oh, I get it from those around me, um, which, is, which is what I said and, and is partly true. But it's not the whole truth because sometimes I do not get it from those around me. And I don't always definitely like muster it up from within myself. 
I don't get it from anywhere on earth or from anyone I know, but the God who knows me and loves me deeply and um, just doesn't know me and love me, but knows and loves the world. In that benign moment of just kind of passing conversation, not only did I fail to give credit where credit is due, I also failed to tell a story that should always be told any chance I have to tell it. And part of it is, I'll be honest, is that it occurs to me just a split second too late to go there um, and be part of it. And, and part of it is that I don't really have something kind of ready to share, um, sort of my elevator speech, so to so to put it, so to say. Um, and I have a feeling that I'm not the only person in that boat. In fact, the pastors at UBC have heard from folks, um, different folks at different times, that they're not quite sure how to share their story, the story of how the gospel, which is God's story of love and message of life, has made a difference for them in a way that feels authentic and not coercive. So we thought this might be a good time to help people actually, practically, think about how to craft their stories, or at least part of it. And who tells a better story than the folks who give TED Talks? So here are some tips from the keynote, um, TED, TED keynote speaker, communications coach, and author Carmen Gallo. You probably have this. You should have this in your worship guide. Um, and so he says, um, the first thing is to be emotionally invested in your story. So like, you should care about what your story is about. And when you do that, others will echo your emotion to, to, um, if they see that you are passionate about it. And then the next thing he says is to make it novel. So in a TED Talk that Bill Gates gave, um, he was talking about malaria um, rates in children in Africa, and um, he like unleashed a horde of mosquitoes on an audience <laughs> um, to sort of surprise them, right? Um, this might not actually be the right tack to take when sharing your story about the impact of the gospel, but it certainly got their in, uh, attention. But there, there might be something about your story, something that shocks or surprises or maybe even creates a sense of fear and delight. So thinking about what that might be for you. And then finally, um, he says, make your story memorable. The purpose of knowing how to tell your story isn't to entertain or even to make someone agree with you, although that's always a nice thing, right? The purpose is to help them understand why it matters so much. The way Gallo puts it is you're selling dreams, not products. Now, for our purposes, the way that I would put it is that you're sharing impact, healing, community, inclusivity, restoration. You're sharing authentically about the impact of God's story um, of love and Jesus' message of life on you and not trying to strong-arm someone into the sinner's prayer. That's not our goal, right? We're telling our story. And at the end of your story, folks might not agree with you about who Jesus is or how the gospel makes a difference, but they can probably get why it matters. They might, might even get on board with this idea or this vision of a world where wholeness of life for all is a reality, where people can be held and loved for all of who they are, that we can live courageously as agents of love. And if they can get there, then you've done your part. Your part is not necessarily to make everyone become a Christian. Your part is to bear witness to the work that God has and is doing in your life. Do you understand the difference? We live in a kind of transactional mindset in our culture, and so it's easy to start getting into a mindset of, oh, if I give this, then you have to give me this. But that's not how God's economy works. God's economy is an economy of sharing, sharing what I know so far. Let me show you that. Let me tell you about this gospel and how it has made an impact on my life. 
sharing your story of how the gospel has been a powerful agent of love in your life, how the community of love and life that is shaped by Jesus matters to you, sharing this is an authentic and compelling way. This is, how, this is, this is all that you're, way to, a compelling way to help people understand what it is that drives you and how it is that you have been transformed. This is what you're responsible for. So last week, I invited you to think about just a moment um, or a, a way that God's story of love and Jesus' message of wholeness of life has made an impact on you. Well, today, I want you to sort of maybe return to that story, or if this is your first time uh, thinking about that, um, kind of identify maybe one slice of your story, um, and then I want you to kind of flesh that story out a little bit more. So take a few minutes to look over this sheet um, on this side. Um, and you'll see that there's sort of like a little bit of a, a story flow here um, to help you get started. Thinking about maybe your history or your context. Adrienne did a great job a little bit actually today in her, her testimony. What, what, what place that you come from? What are the things that have shaped you? And then where did you experience a kind of conflict or tension point in your story where you had to really kind of think about um, how am I going to, for, for Adrian, she, the way she put it was um, the seams started to, to fall apart um, in her life, and she had to sort of return to something that would hold her back together. So think about uh, where that might be. And then finally, how, what impacted you? How did God's story of love or Jesus' message of life renew you, restore you, or take you to a place of greater depth and wholeness? So, um, so think about those things for a minute, um, and maybe just identify one of those uh, points on the journey here um, to begin writing and thinking through your story a little bit more um, concretely. Hopefully that, I know you probably weren't able to work out your entire story and all of that, but um, hopefully you're able to get a little bit started. Um, and Gala suggests that that it might be helpful to sum up kind of the big picture of your story in a single sentence. Um, and that's one way to kind of make it memorable, um, a, a tweetable uh, version of your story. And kind of gave an example at the bottom that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, right? That's a, that's a tweetable <laughs> um, uh, one-liner that kind of gives you a sense of the big picture of your story. So I would really encourage you, if you don't have that sort of story in your back pocket, um, to, to really work that out. It doesn't have to be something really long or super dramatic, um, but something that is true and authentic to who you are and how God has been at work in your own life. Um, and so hopefully that is helpful for you. And, and you know, it might sound really calculated or contrived. Um, I get that. But, you know, I'm going to be honest. If you think that you're being a little bit naive, um, there are a lot of people out there using these same techniques, same techniques, but not for your benefit. Like the thief who steals the sheep. They're looking to take something that is not theirs. Like the hired hand, they're just trying to kind of squeeze you for what you've got while you've got something to give. We share our stories as a way to shed light as a way to give guidance to folks on a very, very complicated path that is our life in a very complicated world. We know how fraught something like hope can be. I only have to mention Philando Castile or Warren Elementary as our latest examples of how challenging 
it can be to be hopeful people. We need to have a story to help people understand why do I have hope? Why does it matter? Why should I continue to be a person of faith in a world that seems so antithetical to what God and what, what Jesus proclaimed? We share our stories not only to um, help others, but we also help each other to keep our hearts lifted and our imaginations illumined, right? We use the same strategies that marketers do to tell a story about how, how our lives have been transformed, not as a thievery, piece of thievery or a piece of contract work. It's a way to show someone that there is someone who cares deeply about us, who deeply knows us and loves all of who we are, burrito bowls and all. Now, in our second reading today, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our story is part of a much broader legacy of believers whose lives and faith and stories have stretched across space and time to us today. And when we think about that, then, we remember that the story that we are a part of, our slice of the story, is actually part of a much longer, broader story that God is telling. It's to help us understand, this isn't to help us um, make us feel small, but in fact, to help us feel bigger, to feel more connected. It helps us understand the ways that God is doing something much bigger than any one of us, that we get to actually be part of an even bigger story that God is writing. We're reminded that the community that Jesus knows and loves, the community that Jesus protects and keeps, that this community stands with us this day, even now as we try to pull together the words to share our portion of the story, reminding us that we're not alone, reminding us of their stories, how does your story connect in with someone else's story who came before you? How is your story connecting with someone who is coming after you? I just saw during our worship time, Aaron teaching Sela hand moves to our, our worship songs. In that small way, Aaron is pouring into Sela so her story can continue on. And who knows what hand gesture, who knows what hand gestures Sela will be teaching some kid down the line too saying it's, it's tradition, that she learned it from a church mom, right? <laughs> this community is bound by baptism, bound by a baptism that says we agree to pour ourselves into one another for the sake of a vision and a life that is not just for some, but for all of us. We tell our story, and we tell it in a way that plants seeds of possibility and life in one another. So think through your story and learn how to tell it well, not because you're a thief or you're a hired hand, not to exploit or even just do your duty. Tell your story because yours is a story worth telling and because it's a story worth hearing. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you know us, that you know our quirks and our contours and that you love us more deeply because of them, not in spite of them. We thank you, God, that, um, that there are people in our lives our church family, our second family, who has poured into us, crafting in some ways our story, a story and a legacy that went on before them and will go on beyond us. Help us, God, to be bearers of good news as we know it, not for our benefit specifically, but for the sake of what you're trying to do in this world. Help us to be people of courage who are willing to share our stories. Help us to be nimble people who think to share our stories in the moment, not for the sake of trying to get someone to agree with us, but for the sake of helping someone maybe see things just a little bit differently. 
just a little bit more hopefully in a world so thirsty and hungry for hope. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who loves us and knows us, who protects us and keeps us. Amen. So we talk a lot about broken bodies and spilled blood when we come to this table. Jesus, God incarnate, came to be with us, to be one of us, to take on the very stuff of our lives. His was real flesh, real blood. And tragically, Jesus' flesh was broken. Jesus' very human blood was spilled by injustice, by prejudice, by law and order. If you've turned on the television this week or peeked at the news, you know that justice has once again gone unserved, this time in the case of Philando Castile. We are reminded again that we gather at this table in the midst of a society where the brutalization and killing of black bodies at the hands of police and the unfair treatment of black individuals in the nation's criminal justice system serve as a kind of currency for the maintenance of white political and cultural power. And so we surely must state emphatically and without qualification at this table, the center of our collective life of faith, that black lives matter. At this table, we remember that Jesus, who invites us here, was himself trampled by the very forces of evil and oppression that my siblings of color have encountered throughout the history of this nation and still today. At this table, we recall one whose body was brutalized and whose life was extinguished because those who had held power were threatened by it. And so at this table, we rehearse every week a counter-narrative, a counter-story, a protest. Here we proclaim that the future of God's imagining has no place for racism, for discrimination, or for violence. Thanks be to God.